0: Welcome, one and all, to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Once again, my name is Jeff Sharon. I'm joined by Eric Lopez. What's going on, Eric? Ah, oh, it's going, Jeffrey. It's good to uh, finally talk about a win, right? Man, oh my God, I can't even begin to tell you how happy how happy it is. It's like the coffee the coffee on on Sunday tasted better. The uh, you know the, the sun was shining brighter. Everything was great because UCF football is one and zero, and we're finally we can finally celebrate. Uh, a win. What a relief for Scott Frost to get a win in his first game, too. We're going to talk about that and uh, their next game coming up against the Michigan Wolverines, the top five ranked Michigan Wolverines coming in uh, in game number two for Scott Frost. Uh, We'll also talk a little uh, volleyball. They got a huge match on Saturday against LSU coming up at the venue. Hope you can make it out for that. We'll also talk a little women's and men's soccer as well. So, uh, once again, don't forget to follow us uh, if you don't already on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret. You can also follow the, the site, blackandgoldbanneret.com, subscribe to our email list. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook as well as Google. Plus, and then you can also subscribe to and download our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Or what Tony Kornheiser says, the Holy Trinity of podcasting, of course. Uh, Lopez, they can find you at Eric Lopez Elo, and you can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter as well. So, well, Eric, it's we're one and zero, baby, isn't it great? What were your impressions Joel? from the game? Thirty-eight nothing win for UCF football over South Carolina State. Now that we have some, we've had some days to digest it. What do you think? What, was it was the performance up to your expectations or or not? Yeah, I mean, they did what they needed to do. It's like we said last
1: week they just got to get a win. Uh, I thought defensively they did very well. I, it was good to see them force some turnovers. You know, and Offensively, you could see that there are obviously some kinks there, which you would expect. I mean, let's be honest, the majority of pretty much the entire most of this roster was brought in to play a completely different scheme. So things aren't going to be smooth operating uh but look they got the job done they got a win uh and and they kind of coasted in the game and uh you know i think that's the encouraging thing and i think now you can move forward you can officially put last year behind them uh, behind you if you're a player uh and fan base from the standpoint of hey don't have to worry about getting that first win you've got to win now now it's moving forward so I think it's more of an exhaling type of thing, uh, and now you just move on. Now, unfortunately, you got a really, really, really tough matchup here in Michigan that might get you a little bit back into reality. But uh, you know, I think that was a very—it was a performance they needed to do. They did what they had to do,
0: and uh, that's a good sign moving forward. I agree. I think that if if UCF had won the game three to two, that Scott Frost would have been happy because you just have to get that first victory. Yeah. Yet, get some confidence going. <clears throat> excuse me with those players, but what I was most impressed with though, I'll be honest, with you, I I don't think they got enough credit for it. You know, the offense started slow, four field goals in the first half, which was tying the school record by Matthew Wright by the way. Um but you're sitting there at 12 nothing and you're thinking, man, what's going to happen next? We're, it, it seemed like there was a point in the second quarter of the game where everyone was just kind of waiting for something bad to happen, and then all of a sudden something good happened. There was a sack and the fumble a few plays later, Holman led the team down, ran in that touchdown. UCF botched the extra point, but they went into the break with an 18 nothing lead. And that was, I think, the kind the kind of drive that I put that down as my turning point of the game in my post game recap, on which you can read at blackandgoldbanneret.com dot com. That um, that that was the that was the key moment in the game to get the offense some confidence. They scored that first touchdown. They went up 18 nothing. And then they scored three more touchdowns in the second half. And uh, also for the defense to pitch a shutout the way that they did. And I know, yes, it's against an FCS team. But it's hard to shut out anybody in college football these days. And the defense was able to do that. First home shutout, Eric, since 2011. That's a long time. The Griffin twins were all over the place. I thought that the pass rush was better than expected. Not great, but better than expected. And... They put some good things on film, and yet I still think, though, that Scott Frost left some things out of the game plan that he didn't want getting onto the game film for Michigan to prepare for this week. What did you think?
1: Oh, I'm sure that's true. I mean, he has said in the past that I think they've only implemented about 90% of the offense, so... I think that's part of it is just, you don't want to give the entire book away. So that's part of it. But yeah, sure. I'm sure there's some different things they'll try against Michigan and so forth. Uh, look, it was good for this. I, I think more on the defensive side, I think the encouraging thing is that they look like they were able to make plays, which they did not do at all last year. So, and again, I think there's some talented guys there more, ta- like he has said, there are more talented guys on this roster than I think people might expect from an 0 12 team. So, you know, there's a methlaga, like, and you mentioned the Griffin brother uh, boys uh, as an example of that. So I think those are all encouraging things. But again, I will say it is an FCS opponent, so you don't want to get too carried away uh, because now you're going to step in against a top five, top ten team in the country in Michigan, and I don't think we should overreact over that game either. If things don't go well, for example, uh, I wouldn't go to the extreme on that either. So you t- you take it all with caution. Progress, it's it's a win. And now it's just a matter of, okay, now we go to Michigan, and you give it their best shot, and you see what happens. And uh But either way, I wouldn't overreact to it. Uh And I think you and I have brought this up. I think the Maryland game yep. in two weeks, I know everybody's looking into Michigan and Michigan this and Michigan that, but I think to me the most interesting game will be the Maryland game from the standpoint of that's where I think we'll have a better idea of what kind of football team this will be in 2016.
0: Well, UCF's heading up to the big house for this game. It's set for noon Eastern time. Uh, it will be on ABC. It will be on the big network.
1: Uh, second time, uh, I believe, in program history. Obviously, the 2013 home game against South Carolina. Yep, the
0: South Carolina game. I was just going to say that was the only other t- time that UCF has been on ABC. Some notes about that game. Michigan obviously coming off a 63-3 to route of Hawaii. But I-, I think this is interesting. I think... UCF comes into this game a 36-point underdog, depending on where you look, but about, but about a five-touchdown underdog. I don't think that UCF is as bad as the odd makers say, and I don't think Michigan is quite as good as the odds makers say because the Hawaii team that they played last week was coming off of a long road trip coming back from Australia. And then they had to go stop at home in Honolulu and then head over to... Uh, the central time zone to play uh, to play in the big house. That team really had no chance in that game. Anyway, here's Coach Frost talking about playing in Ann Arbor in front of 100,000-plus fans.
2: I think it's always fun to go play a, a really good team, and our, our kids are going to get to see uh, what a place like Michigan looks like and what those players look like. I don't think our kids are going to be intimidated or scared. They're going to go in there fighting, uh, but we know we have a challenge in front of us. I loved going into a hostile environment. Um, it it kind of made me focus even more. And, and I think we got a bunch of guys that are going to feel that way. Um, it, it's, I've never been to Ann Arbor myself. I don't think many of the people traveling up there have been to Ann Arbor. But uh, I heard great things about it. Um, hopefully that brings out the best in our players and our team.
0: I recognize that Michigan is better under Harbaugh But I still – there's just something – now, this goes back to something that I said yet – remember last year that you used to get – that you were getting on my case on about Twitter, right? (laughs) That – Oh, me? Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? I've been skeptical of Michigan since the Harbaugh hire ever since because – In
1: particular, Jim Harbaugh. You've been skeptical of Jim Harbaugh.
0: Yes, I'm skeptical of Jim Harbaugh. Well, more – really, I'm more skeptical of the reaction to Jim Harbaugh. And the reason why is the minute he was hired at Michigan – All the Michigan fans come out of the woodwork saying, book it, national championship within three to five years. And my thought on that was, well, what if that doesn't happen, Michigan fan? Let's not forget that everyone said, oh, well, look what he did at Stanford. Well, he had Andrew Luck at Stanford. (laughs) Andrew Luck was pretty good, and Andrew Luck's don't grow on trees. Uh, I don't know if he's quite found the uh, the quarterback that he needs, although uh, Wilton Spate was 10 of 13 for 145 last week, three touchdowns and a pick. Interestingly enough, John O'Corn, remember that guy from Houston? He's now a Michigan yeah. Wolverine. He was three for three against Houston for uh, or excuse me against Hawaii for 16 yards in that game. But this is a team that still relies on the running attack. Chris Evans had uh, 112 yards on eight carries. Uh, including a 43-yard touchdown, uh, one of two touchdowns he had on the day against Hawaii as Michigan ran for 306 yards as a team. Only passed for 206, but when you run for 306, what difference does it make? 7.8 yards a carry. Once again, here's Coach Frost talking about his counterpart in the game, Jim Harbaugh. One
2: thing you know about a Jim Harbaugh coach team is they're going to play hard. Um, They're going to be disciplined. They're going to play hard. Um, You know, he's... The perpetual foot on the gas pedal. I don't think he probably lets his players get away with much other than exactly what he expects, and, and that's an attribute of a good coach. Um, you can already see that in his team. i got a lot of respect for, for Don Brown, their defensive coordinator, and what he's done other places. Um, it's a good ball club and a good unit, and I think it'll be a, a lot of fun for us to go up there and, and give them a challenge.
0: If there's a possibility of Michigan getting complacent for a game, it's this one, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you blow a team out like they did against Hawaii, absolutely, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if this game is close at halftime. For example,
0: if it's twenty, you know, fourteen to seven, twenty-one to fourteen, or something like that. Yeah, it oh, if it's like twenty-one seventeen at the half, I mean, we should be doing backflips right now.
1: Right. So, I mean, but I wouldn't shock me. I think though, where this is going to come into uh, fruition is the the, the depth, and, and what this game is going to be decided on is the line of scrimmage. And I'm going to give you credit. You called this. I want to say you call You started calling this out. 2014, I want to say, where you started questioning the UCF offensive line and the decline. Yeah. And, you know, that's where they're going to get tested because Michigan's defensive front is ferocious. They got some NFL players in that front seven. And and I think last week they had, like, they forced Hawaii into, like, 10 plays for lost uh, behind this, you know, for lost yardage behind the line of scrimmage. And then on the other side of the ball, Michigan's offensive line, physical. You mentioned the rushing yards against that UCF defensive line. That's where the ish concern is if your UCF is, can UCF hold up from a line of scrimmage? Because Michigan's going to try to beat you up and wear you down uh, as this game goes on and, quite frankly, has more bodies. So it's imperative for UCF to get off to a good start, because I think the long the, as the game goes on, if UCF can't get some first downs, uh, Jeff, and everybody talks about this offense and how exciting it could be when it's clicking. But I've also saw it, and many people saw this on Monday night, when Florida State O Miss in that third quarter, when that offense isn't clicking and ain't getting first downs, that means the defense is on the field a lot. And that's where you get word down. So that's the concern. If UCF can't click on offense and get some first downs and move the ball and get some points early, if they get a lot of quick three and outs, it's going to be a long day for that defense. And that's where the physicality of Michigan and, and what Jim Harbaugh has is trying to bring to Michigan will be a big factor for them. Now, as far as the quarterback situation, you brought up with Jim Harbaugh. Yes, he had Andrew Luck at Stanford. Uh, My counter to that is, look what he did with Colin Kaepernick, and look what Colin Kaepernick has been since Jim Harbaugh left. So, And look at the quarterback Michigan had last year, a transfer out of Iowa, Jake Rudock who they turned into a great year and they got to the citrus bowl. Uh, so he's actually, I think ahead of schedule. I give, I, I agree with Kurt Herbstreet, who has said he kind of agrees with you, but also agrees with me in that he thinks they're a little overrated this year, that they're a year early. He thinks that he, will wait on Michigan for another year or two, wait till Jim actually brings back the Elvis Gerbach types of quarterback play, a Desmond Howard type of skill position player, a Tyrone Wheatley type. This is not his players yet. He's fortunate in that Brady Hoke, who was very much a lo- uh, maligned at Michigan, was a good recruiter, especially in the line of scrimmage. And Brady Hoke's background is, of course, the line of scrimmage. As a former offensive line coach, he played in the line of scrimmage so that's where Michigan's strengths is, and Jim has been able to work around that and and gotten the max out of his skill position, guys. Wait till Jim brings in his skill position, guys, at a higher level. That's where I think Michigan takes off next year or the year after uh, from a national title contender. I, I think they're very good this year, and they might win the Big Ten, but I do agree with you. I don't believe that they're a national title contender this year. Uh, and, and or next year until Jim brings in those type of Michigan offensive skill
0: talent. Boy, sounds a lot like us. Huh? Wait till the coach brings in his guys.
1: But isn't that fair? I mean, <laughs> True, that's yeah. a fair. I mean, that's that's really fair. I mean, remember this is only Jim Harbaugh's second year. Uh, in reality, the majority of these players are still Brady Hope players, and that's why the skill position players are not as good as say, like what Urban Meyer has at Ohio State. Even though Ohio State's very young, those are Urban super talented players. Yeah. But I think Michigan, obviously, if any indication from last year's recruiting class, it's getting back to what it was at Michigan because they had a big, strong recruiting class, I believe, in the top ten. And I think Jim – I think college football is the perfect fit for him. See, I think Jim in the NFL wears on people, and I think that's kind of what happened with him in the 49ers where in college, players is a constant turnover – Mm-hmm. And so the message will not get old with the players. And the university loves Jim Harbaugh. He's a, quote, Michigan man, yeah. which
0: is what they always love. Yeah, yeah he's, not, he's, not, he's not leaving. <laughs> he's, I agree. He's not no, going and, anywhere.
1: I, and, and because some, some people suggest that, that, oh, he's going to go back to the NFL. And I don't really believe that. I think he's yeah. generally happy with college football. And I think he enjoys mocking the system, which is what I think you have seen from Jim Harbaugh. In the off season, with the satellite camps and all the, you know, the stuff he did at Signing day, some of that I think is tongue in cheek. Some of that is kind of poking, kind of fun at the system of college football, and uh, some of it is also to bring attention to his program, and uh, that's, you know, that's the name of the game. So, uh, I think he'll be a huge success. You know, in the national title, that's so hard to predict with the playoff. I mean, who knows? Right. You know, I mean, you got to be a little lucky. I mean, Ohio State got lucky they got into the playoff. The year Urban Meyer brought the national title to Ohio State, the, the things bounced his way. So I'm not going to judge him based on whether he brings a national title or not. If they're in contention, then I think that's what they brought him in for, and then you hope if you're a Michigan fan that you get the, the
0: ball to bounce your way. I think you're right about Harbaugh you know, wearing out the NFL guys because these guys are on million-dollar contracts. They're like, listen, dude, just quit with the rah-rah stuff. Let's go play ball, where college right. kids I think really do buy into that kind of stuff. One thing I think where UCF in particular, if they can go into this game, that I thought was really encouraging from the first game was UCF ran 91 offensive plays against South Carolina State. That's the most offensive plays that they've run in one game since November of 2002. That was before George O'Leary. That was back in the Mike Kruzek days. It was a win over Kent State in the Citrus Bowl in the rain. I was there, 32-6. to six. Interestingly enough, the crowd in the Citrus Bowl that night seven thousand three hundred and fifty four. <laughs> but this provides some insight into what I was I was talking about in that UCF's average offensive plays last year. UCF averaged sixty five plays a game on offense. Last week in game number one, they ran ninety one. They're going to have to run ninety plus, maybe even try and get to a hundred plus offensive plays against Michigan to even have a shot at this game because the more you were talking about that front seven that Michigan has the more plays you run the more chunks of yardage you get you can wear out that defense even if you're not keeping them on the field for a very long time because you're running the offense so quickly you can wear them out quickly and I think UCF's only shot at this game is going to be to turn it into an up and down the field shootout in in a way such that you know if we get run over which we're pro, which you know the way our front seven has looked, we, we, may, we might get run over quite a bit by their offense. you got to answer back. And then you got to hope that you get a turnover. Someone fumbles the ball, a pick, a blocked kick or something. And then you can take a one or two possession lead, and then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter you're still running plays, their, their front seven's getting gassed, and you're scoring touchdowns on them. I think we saw a miniature version of that against South Carolina State. It's really going to have to pay off against Michigan if the Knights have any chance at all. What do you think?
1: I agree. I mean that's why they got to get off to a good start cuz if you get off to a good start, you know, you can play from ahead. If you yeah. fall behind, then Michigan's going to pin their ears back and go after Justin and well, Holman even and go if after you,
0: Even if you fall behind though. Even if you fall down 7-nothing, you got to answer back. You got to punch him right in the nose, you Yeah, right
1: of course. That's going to be a big factor. Easier said than done though. This is probably going to be the most talented defense that UCF will face all year. Houston certainly showed they've had some talented defensive players themselves. But I would say as a whole, I think Michigan is going to be the, by far the best defense they'll see. So uh, I want people to keep that in mind. I don't want people to overreact either way. I don't want people to overreact if they struggle offensively. Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? This is one of the top defenses in the country. I also don't want people to overreact either. You know, if they play a good game, if it's a close game, look, I mean, like you said, I, I agree. I think this will be, what did you say the number was? 36, depending on where you look. Yeah, I would take UCF to cover that. OK, I'll take you, you to not, cover you too, because
0: I'm because I'm optimistic. <laughs> one one note I did want to point out, I just looked this up forecast for Ann Arbor on Saturday, thunderstorms, 80 percent chance of precipitation, wind 16 miles an hour, high of 77, low 55, scattered thunderstorms in the morning, becoming more widespread in the afternoon. So a little bit of bad weather, perhaps up in Ann Arbor.
1: What is that? What do you think that favors? I mean, I don't think that'll affect Michigan as much, but I can't imagine that would affect UCF that much. I mean, turnovers could be in play there. Maybe uh, Michigan gives you a freebie.
0: A, Here a little early. sloppiness, perhaps. I think that you're going to have to. Um, you know, that's a good. That's a good question. I really don't know who that favors. I would. I would almost tend to feel like it would. You would tend to think that it would favor Michigan, but the way Frost's offense works. You know, that offense worked pretty good in the rain in Oregon, too. As long as we're able to hold on to the ball, I think we should be fine. That's the thing. Don't, that's the other thing with a game like this, too. Don't, don't make it any easier for them. Make them earn everything. Don't give them the ball. You know, maybe one time out of ten, UCF wins, goes up there and wins this ball game, but that's why they play the games. You know, maybe Saturday's that one time out of ten. I don't know. I'll take my chances. I think that we're gonna. I think that we're gonna cover though at the very least, and I know you're on the record of saying that we're gonna cover too. So yeah,
1: I I, I do. I mean, I don't know what that means. I mean, that could be you know, it could be. I don't know if that means it's a ten, fifteen point game or a thirty point game. But I, I agree. I think UCF will put a, a, a very respectable effort. It's all about does Michigan come out? What kind of game does Michigan come out with? And I agree. I think things were very easy for Michigan last Saturday, and usually teams that play that well the first week tend to have a letdown the second week because now they're reading their clippings. Oh, this is going to be easy. And they come out a little, maybe a little flat, maybe a little sloppy. Uh, So we'll see. Uh, I think it'll be interesting from that standpoint. A couple of notes from this game, by the way. Rich Eisen will be the honorary captain for Michigan. Yeah, really. (laughs) Last week was Michael Jordan. The the next Michigan home game will be Tom Brady. Uh, That is the other factor. The television crew for ABC. Uh, Steve Levy, who's back doing play-by-play college football mm-hmm. this season, Brian going Greasy. with Brian Greasy, yep, former Michigan quarterback, in the '97 national championship team that they sp- split the title
0: with Scott Frost and the Nebraska Cornhuskers.
1: What's the over/under on that one being brought up during the broadcast? Oh, one hundred
0: percent. There's no question about that.
1: I mean, you know they're going to have video footage of that. I feel like that they're saving that one for like a second quarter or early second quarter, midway second quarter, maybe even third quarter at the latest, with video packages of both guys and the the big debate, who would have won that game? And uh, I feel like that will um, be a reference, uh, I think, a few times during that telecast. And the other thing, keep in mind, Brian Greasy also called that – UCF-South Carolina game back in 2013. Yeah, that was with,
0: the, that was with Dave Pash.
1: That, that, that game, too. Correct. I had a chance to interview Dave Pash. that way. It was great. Uh love Dave Pash.
0: Syracuse got uh, Dave Pash. Uh,
1: yes, correct. Um, now, the interesting thing, and this is something that you can look for, ladies and gentlemen, on the website here coming up next week, television viewers. Interesting to see how this game does, Jeff. From eh, not just a national standpoint, although you kind of you understand that the national audience numbers are going to be carried by Michigan mm-hmm. mostly because they're draw. But how is this game going to do locally in Orlando? It's going to be interesting. Remember, the UCF-South Carolina game in 2013 is the most watched UCF regular season football game of UCF involvement in Orlando. had 243,500 viewers for that game in Orlando only. Do you think they will reach that number? Will they reach that number that I just brought up, 243,500 viewers? In Orlando, watched UCF hosting South Carolina, and I remember the South Carolina game. That was a huge game. UCF was having a great year. You had Jadavian Clowney, you had Steve Spurrier coming in, so you had the Spurrier factor. A lot of different factors. South Carolina was a nationally ranked team. Do you think it will get a bigger number in Orlando, similar or less?
0: I think it will get slightly bigger because it's a road game. So all those fans who would have been at the game, like for South Carolina, that game was a home game. So those plans, are, those fans are going to have to watch the game on TV. I think that's what's going to boost the number. Um, not to mention the fact that this is Scott Frost's first big test, and there's a lot of people who are interested in Harbaugh here in Orlando as well. So I think that's, what, that's, what's, it's going to get, that's what's going to give it a little bit uh, extra boost. I'm looking forward to it. It should be a pretty good game. I hope we're competitive. I really hope we do. I hope we show, even if we come up short, Oh boy, I'm going to catch a lot of flack for this, even if it's one of those moral victories. Remember all that all that talk from back in the day. As yeah. long as we show up well and we don't hand them the game, you know, I think that should serve notice. And uh, one thing I am looking forward to, and my last point is going to be this one: I'm looking forward to Scott Frost opening up the offense and let Justin Holman um, let's, let Justin Holman throw the ball around the field. Um, I
1: would expect some gimmick, uh, some trickery yeah. too, right? We'll C- yeah, expect- kind,
0: of, kind of. I would love for this to be one of those. Why the hell not? Kind of games. Hey, you know what? Let's open it up. Why the hell not? Let's 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 throw all our chips down on the table and see what happens. If it doesn't, if it works, great. If it doesn't, oh well, that's fine too. Um, because you never know.
1: Sure. So, By the way, to to put that number I mentioned the UCF South Carolina television numbers in Orlando market in perspective, uh, the Labor Day night game, Florida State and Ole Miss, drew two hundred and eighty five thousand. 946 viewers in orlando only it was a 12.2 local rating which is a monster number i mean only the nfl gets bigger numbers than that yeah and 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 and, and in in any television program really uh as far as that's concerned that was the fourth orlando was the fourth biggest market from a television rating for that florida state old miss game so i'm kind of interested to see how the UCF Michigan game draws in Orlando noon ABC. Keep in mind the Florida State game was ESPN, yeah. and as you know better than anybody, not everybody has ESPN. A lot of people are cost you know courty, uh, cutting the cord and not using having cable.
0: ABC to be fair th- though, to be fair, that was the yeah. only game in town on that night on an on a non regular college football night on a Sunday night.
1: Monday night, Monday night,
0: or a Monday uh, night. You're right,
1: but you're right, you're right. I mean, but again, I mean, this is where. You know, People talk about Big 12 expansions and draws and stuff like that. This is where I'm interested to see what you see of draws here in Orlando for that game. In comparison, Houston had a monster number in that market for that Oklahoma-Houston game. So I would expect the, the draw this big number on Saturday being on ABC, free television, so you don't need cable. You can watch it anywhere. I think if you're UCF, you want to hope, you're hoping that you're right, Jeff, that a lot of people that don't make the trip to Ann Arbor watch the game and you're hoping that maybe Orlando finishes as a top 10 television market for this game. I would expect Detroit to probably be the number one market for this football game with all the Michigan fans and a lot, some of the Midwest cities. But I like to think that maybe hopefully you're hoping if Orlando can crack the top 10, now all of a sudden that's a message that you can send to the Big 12 or whoever and say, look, we can bring orlando market we can you know we can draw viewers so uh, that that's the that stuff like that i'm always interested in and i will certainly break that down on the site uh next week so look for that not just for the michigan game but throughout the season when ucf's on television i will break those numbers down keeping in mind that for example the game against maryland i won't be able to break anything down cuz cbs sports network does not uh go to nielsen with numbers so those numbers will never be publicized but games that are on espn or abc or fox we will deliver the national numbers and if we get the local numbers as well we'll post that for you as well so you get an idea of kind of where uh you know kind of a, an interesting aspect that i think is still important today's landscape with the television
0: yeah you're absolutely right looking forward to seeing what those numbers are and you can find that right here on uh, BlackAndGoldBanneret.com. stick around because uh coming up next after a brief break We're going to talk a little volleyball, big match coming up, and also a little bit of soccer. Stick around. This is the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Fegley.
1: This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast.
0: You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com.
1: Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and
0: YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on. Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, back here, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Let's switch gears and talk a little UCF volleyball. Big weekend coming up, Eric. As uh, last weekend, the Knights came away with the uh, Saluki Invitational Tournament trophy, going two and one on the weekend up at Southern Illinois. Uh, their only loss was to the home team, Southern Illinois, in five sets. Came back the following morning, uh, beat Western Michigan and then or beat Northern Arizona and Western Michigan. And because they had uh, there was a tiebreaker involved, and it took a little time for them to figure out the tiebreak, but they did uh determine that UCF had the better set record. So UCF wins the trophy. Jordan Pingle is named the MVP of the tournament. Knights are five and two, and they're coming home for another tournament, three matches this weekend. The holiday in Orlando East Classic at the venue will start on Friday, eleven A. M. UCF takes on FAU, followed by a big match against LSU out of the Southeastern Conference at 7 p.m. on Friday. Make sure you go to the venue for that. The tournament wraps up with Seattle on Sunday at 2 p.m. taking on the Knights.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the first of an eight-match homestand for Coach Dagenet and his team there. So this is a big stretch, I think, Jeff. Don't you think? After I think it was a successful road trip, you certainly would have liked to have won the Southern Illinois match. But like you said, that was a home match for Southern Illinois. It was either way; could have gone either way. And that was really a dramatic match. When you look at that match,
0: and Southern Illinois is really good too. They're they're a preseason uh, preseason top twenty-five in the mid-major poll too. That's a good team. It's a quality team. They're you know, and, and look at that match. UCF had to win
1: uh, their sets, 31-29, yep. 26-24, and lost the fourth set. They were up two sets to one, lost that fourth one, 27-25, lost the final one, 15-10. So that was a – it could have gone either way. And and I think they'll grow from that. And now they got a shot to really uh, – with a big, long homestand. You know, FAU is pretty good. LSU is a big brand name of the SEC. I'm going to head out for that match, as a matter of fact. I will be out there for that one, looking forward to seeing – uh, the team there and you know you've seen them every match at home you know like seattle this is this team is different it's just vibe wise it's different than last year or right, i feel like jeff and see if you disagree with me last year's team if they after that southern illinois loss probably would not have shown up and probably would have lost to northern arizona it probably would have been a letdown a carryover from the disappointment whereas this team quickly puts that behind them comes back and gets two hard-fought wins i feel there's a a maturity about this team, and yet they're still growing on the pr- in the same time. So I think it's a very uh, fascinating team that I still think their best volleyball is ahead of them, and they got an opportunity here with eight matches at home here to really get in a rhythm and get yourself ready when conference begins uh, later this month.
0: Yeah, and here's Todd Dagenham, by the way, talking about uh, the importance of coming back after that tough five setter against uh, against Southern Illinois and beating Northern Arizona. Uh, right after that, the following morning,
1: the SIU match, we were, were not back in the hotel until 11. And then we
0: were up at seven um, to go to the, you know, eat and go to the gym to play that 10 o'clock in the morning match. But so that NAU match was, um, you know, we really played well. I was really happy with how we played defensively. We were um, we were as disciplined defensively in that match as we were against Florida State. Uh, it, that was a very successful tournament. And then to have Northern Arizona beat Southern Illinois in in that night, which gave us the tournament championship, uh, that was just icing on the cake for us. Um, I'm glad that our players received um, the tournament awards that they did. That's great. But more importantly than anything else, everything that we're doing right now is trying to prepare us for what really happens in a couple of weeks, and that's to start a conference season. Yeah, I think that that was – a really key weekend for UCF on the road. A really key test. Uh, I think that Southern Illinois, if they were in the American, would be a highly competitive team. And now we're going to, like you said, Eric, we're going to see what happens against this uh, against FAU. Don't sleep on the FAU team either, um, because then you know that's an early match as well on a Friday. And then UCF has to come back right after that and play LSU on the home court on um, on Sa- on Friday night at uh, 7 p.m. Hopefully, we'll get a good crowd out. For that game, um, here's some interesting news by the way that came came out about uh, ucf 's floor actually they uh, Shannon Owens Green had this, and we actually knew about it earlier there's a new floor out there at the venue, so we 're checking out um, UCF is the first Amer- school in the American to get the TaraFlex Sport M floor installed in their home uh, venue just 11 D1 teams have that including um, Nebraska this uh Towerflex Sport M floor is really cool now um we're used to we were used to seeing UCF volleyball they've played on the old wooden floor in the venue um, which was you know hazardous at times cuz you could go running off of it and that's a, a you know, that last step's a doozy <laughs> and then there was the sport court that they had was like which was like a bunch of tiles but those could really scrape you up if you hit one of the corners of them with your elbow or your knee. This Terraflex Sport M Performance dry uh, Drytex floor is one of the most advanced playing surfaces that um, in in the country in the world. Actually, uh, they use it for um, not just volleyball but also uh, sports across you know across the world. Uh, like for example, um, futsal or hand or team handball and easy maintenance, ease of sliding. Um it's just a lot better for um the athletes that play on it. And the other thing is we used to install that sport court over the top of the old uh basketball floor. And now they just lay that floor down directly on the concrete floor of the arena of the old the old arena, obviously now we call it the venue. So um so it's a lot safer from, you know, in terms of where the floor is. A lot safer in terms of the surface. And it's pretty cool that UCF is one of only 11 Division One programs that uh, that have this floor. They made it look really nice, too, the way they, the way they tricked it out with all the uh, with all the UCF paraphernalia around it.
1: Yeah, I look forward to seeing that on uh, Friday night during the LSU match. So that's going to be cool to see in person. The nice little twist. Certainly helps recruiting, I'm sure, among other things. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And keep in mind, by the way, that Seattle match is a rematch from last year. They played in Miami in a tournament in Miami. Seattle yes. actually won that match. So interesting to see how those, you know, the UCF players that returned from that team last year try to look for some revenge. Seattle got to travel all the way to Orlando, obviously. Uh, but so there's some competitiveness here. That the uh, some pretty good teams here. That could be. I, I think some exciting. Matches. Uh, I hope you save your voice, Jeff, because I feel like you'll call it a couple of five setters.
0: Yeah, it might be a while. By the way, a note on that. A note on that floor. By the way, UCF volleyball actually had a release out earlier than um, than when than when Shannon had it out back on August twenty fifth. So they're the ones that actually put it out, and it was installed back on the twenty first. Um, interestingly enough, it was uh, that the court surface was also used for the Olympics in Rio for handball and for volleyball. So yeah, I'm going to try and save up my voice for those for those two matches especially the uh is the FA uh the FAU1 and the LSU1 and I'm really happy that we have a day off in between matches with Seattle coming in on Sunday uh to finish out the tournament because uh, I might need that extra day to uh rest the to rest my vocal cords after screaming into the arena mic for uh for two <laughs> matches on on Friday so uh I'm looking forward to see what the Knights can do against LSU that's a very good test for coach Dajnay's team and uh, in particular, uh, you know, the size that LSU presents, um, and and also the fact that you're playing that second match right after um, FAU. So that should be, uh, like I said, it's, it's a big weekend for UCF volleyball. And, and uh, those of you who are listening, you better come out to the venue on uh, on Friday night because it's going to be a jump in place for um, LSU. Uh, all right. Let's and you talk get to, to meet me. You yeah, get that's to meet right. me. I'll be You there. get to meet Eric. Right. Right. Also, Victor's going to hey, be hello. there. Victor Anderson's wow. going to be there. I'm going to be there. Everyone's going to be there. Everyone's going to be there. It's going to be a happening place. And it's going to be a great way to kick off the UCF weekend because, you know, 12 hours later, it's UCF, uh, it's UCF football against, uh, against Michigan. Well, a little bit more than 12 hours, but who's counting? Um, let's talk a little women's soccer who came off of a huge, huge weekend. Um, they went on the road to Oklahoma State out to Stillwater with a record of 1-3. Now, granted, those three losses were against North Carolina, Duke, and South Carolina, all three ranked teams. The one win at home, a 4 nothing win against UMass. But we mentioned this um, you know, late in our previous show. Oklahoma State up 2-0 in the 86th minute. UCF scores a pair of goals um, before the end of regulation and then wins the game in overtime with a penalty kick to win 3-2. And then two days later, after flying back from Stillwater, on the road again. This time up at Stetson. Not you know too bad of a road trip. Obviously up to Deland, but late in the game again tied at one. Carol Rodriguez, who had already scored a game a, a goal earlier in the game, uh, put another PK in the back of the net, and UCF comes away with that one at two and one. The Knights and Tiffany Roberts Sahedak are at five hundred right now, three and three, and they've got a and they've got their uh, next home game coming up against FIU. Uh, on September 8th and then at Florida Gulf Coast on September 11th and do not sleep on the FGCU Eagles who last year won the Atlantic Sun Conference going away with an overall record of 14-6-2 undefeated in their league won both of their A Sun women's soccer tournament games by a combined score of 10 to nothing and then beat USF in the first round of the NCAA tournament before losing to number 3 ranked Duke in the second round. So uh, this is not going to be an easy weekend for UCF women's soccer, is it?
1: No, and they wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, let's first address, I mean, obviously the Oklahoma state match could be a turning point for this team. that's still young and growing uh, to come back the way they did pull off the victory. And then remember they had a, that's a tough trip going back from Oklahoma. Trust me, I've done this trip from Oklahoma to Florida is not the easiest smoothest of flights. And remember, there were some earthquakes around that region. That's right. Uh last weekend that yeah, you know, I think probably I'm guessing I didn't really speak to anybody but I would imagine when there were some earthquakes in that area that probably caused some delays. Uh, I think they I think like
0: they that. may have they may have missed it. I think they may have flown back Maybe. after the game. I'm not 100% sure. I'll have to check, but they may sure, have just sure. missed it. But if they didn't, boy, that must have been something. So you
1: got been a long flight. And then you got a quick turnaround. You got to go to Deland to take on Stetson, and for Stetson, that's the game they circle. Uh, that's always a game that they're going to look at. And you got you can't have a letdown. And they found a way to win that, and that was huge. So I thought that was a huge success. Uh, a very critical weekend for that team and the growth as they get ready for conference here in a few weeks. And you're right, it will not get easier. They will play a, a FIU team first at home at, again, and this is the thing. UCF women's soccer is a target. Anybody that plays UCF, that's like a huge match because UCF is tradition, power. Everybody knows who they are in women's soccer. So for FIU, like that's their big game. They will be ready for that, and the girls have to match the level of that. And then you mentioned Florida Gulf Coast and what they did. They are a program that's been on the rise. Now UCF has to travel over there. So Florida Gulf Coast will be ready. You mentioned what they did last year. They knocked off USF in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and made some noise there. A lot of people were certainly, uh, very high on them. And I, I just think that to me, you're right. That is going to be a challenge. Uh, very talented team, very high level. But again, and you had, you, you talked to Coach Sahadek about this schedule. That's, there's a madness behind it. Um, and by the way, Florida Gulf Coast last year, okay, beat UCF yep. at UCF too uh 2 to 1 and i remember that cuz UCF was ranked 17th at the time and people were asking me oh is this team in, is there is there concern and and not really cuz a lot of people that follow women's soccer knew that florida gulf coast was one of those teams you just wanted to the dangerous team that had a lot of talent so uh now that game was an exhibition game i want to remind let me just clarify that it was an exhibition last year as well so but a lot of even, I remember talking to Coach Haydeck. Hey, she said that Florida Gulf Coast was a team that you were going to, you know, was going to be dangerous come the NCAA tournament. So even they learned that from the exhibition. So they'll be ready to play Florida Gulf Coast, I would assume. And that'll be a tough match. But again, I think UCF's goal is to grow, continue this growth. And I think as a team, they grew a lot this past weekend with that win in Stillwater against Oklahoma State and the win at Stetson. And, and, the, and their goal is to be peaking right as conference starts and go after that conference title.
0: Yeah, Carol Rodriguez was named the uh, conference player of the week. One note I did wanted to uh, mention about uh, FIU—they're coming into this game 0-4 and one on the season. But uh, the draw was against Stetson in Deland. All but one of their losses have been by one goal. The losses have been to USF, Florida Gulf Coast, and Miami of Ohio, all by one goal. Um, the fourth loss was to Wake Forest for nothing at home. But FIU did lose to Florida Gulf Coast, like I said, one to nothing. So. Don't let that record fool you. Um, FIU is looking to get off the schneid, and they must be pretty angry go- heading into that game, too. So. Well,
1: in women's soccer, it's Florida, Florida State, and UCF that's actually the big three in women's college soccer. Yes, it, and, true. You know, people, you know, people are used to like Florida, Florida State, Miami, and football. In soccer, it's UCF with third tradition going back to Michelle Akers in the early 80s. Florida, obviously, with Becky Burley, the head coach. Of course, Abby Wambach won a national title in the late '90s, and of course, Florida State recently with their national title, they've been at the top of the sport. But those are the big three in the state. But then you got teams like Miami, who's on the rise from a soccer program and have made the NCAA tournament. You mentioned we've talked about Florida Gulf Coast. You mentioned FIU, FAU. It is just really, really talented in this state. So anytime you have in-state teams playing, uh, you really—I mean, it's cliche. But you do throw the records out the window because let's—it's—it's it's no different than in football. These players, have, in a lot of cases, know each other from high school, played against each other in high school, or played with it, together in high school. Maybe played with each other in certain groups of uh, soccer. So, um, club teams it, and all that. Exactly, exactly. So I—it's I, you know again, it's another step for this team and their growth. And remember, this team is still young. Even though they returned a lot of players from last year, it, they're young still. So they're, they're still going through their experience and they're, but their goal is to get better every match and grow. And that's the big question is who replaces the goal scoring that they lose with Spivey's graduation from last year? We talked about this and you brought it up to coach the And I think that's one of the questions that we're trying to find, certainly uh, as we go on in the season.
0: Yeah, one other thing I wanted to talk about too uh, before we get out of here men's soccer as well. They off to a little bit of a slow start, had a game canceled at Charlotte because of hurricane uh Hermine. Uh lost at South Carolina to a pretty good South Carolina team 2 to 1. Uh the Knights are currently 1 and 2 on the year. Or excuse me, uh 0 and 2 on the year. They did win one exhibition before the season started. They are on the road again in Macon, Georgia at Mercer on uh Sunday, September the 11th before finally getting a home game and their first of six consecutive home games uh, for UCF men's soccer. And they play Florida Gulf Coast on uh, Wednesday, September the 14th at the UCF Track and Soccer Complex, followed by Jacksonville on September the 17th. That's a Saturday. And then UNF comes to town on September 21st. And and then it's on the conference play already, September 24th against USF, SMU October 1st, Northwestern non-conference game. On Wednesday, October fifth. So, boy, a weird schedule for Coach Brian Cunningham's team coming out of the gate. But they're looking to get that first win against Mercer. Hopefully, they can do it and then be on a on a winning note heading into that uh, six game uh, home stand for UCF uh, men's soccer. All right, ELO, what are you looking forward to the most this weekend before we get out of here?
1: Well, I think from the, I think I'm looking forward to the volleyball match. To be honest, I, I am looking forward to seeing them in LSU, and I want to see how the girls have grown from last year to this year. Because I think, as you know, you've talked to Coach Dajane about this conference is wide open, and it's also a better league too, don't you think? And and, uh, Jeff, you've been around the program, you've been around the league now since its inception. This might be the deepest the league has been, the American Conference in volleyball since
0: it began. It's really Uh, deep this year, and Todd said that in a preview that uh, he really has. You know, even though he put UCF down as fourth, it's a crapshoot in this league this year among the top, you know, six or seven schools. Um, it's going to be a race to the finish this year, to be honest.
1: And they're off to a good start in the non-conference, and that's important because if you're the American Conference, you know if you do well outside your conference, you have a shot to maybe become a multiple bid league, right? You know, and, you that, and that's
0: key to-, to boost that RPI, which is so important in in Absolutely. volleyball. And it, it even it's probably the RPI is probably more important than volleyball than in any other sport. I know that we use it a lot. You know, we come March Madness time, but it is so critical to boost your RPI as much as you can in women's volleyball.
1: No question about it. And you look at what he's, who he, uh, Todd has played with Florida State on the schedule. LSU is an SEC school in a league that is usually multiple bid league in the SEC. So these are matchups that will matter come down the stretch with the RPI, like you said. So these are important, important weekend for the volleyball team here with a long homestand. I'm looking forward to seeing that. And obviously, the UCF-Michigan football game speaks for itself and see how the team compares against maybe, maybe uh, if not the most talented team on the schedule, maybe the second best. It's either them or Houston. Uh should be fun to see. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a very busy weekend. I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing a lot of the UCF alums playing in week one of the NFL, and, and me in particular. I'll get to see Blake Bortles mm-hmm. uh, Sunday in a big game against Green Bay in a sellout crowd at Everbank. I was actually hoping, a funny story. Uh, I was hoping to get an interview with Josh Sitton for the pop for, our, for the website, but uh, Josh Sitton is no longer a Packer. He's yeah, now he just got
0: cut by Green Bay and now he's with the Chicago Bears. Yeah. He landed on his feet in Chicago, which was good. In less than 24 hours, he got picked up by the Bears. Yeah, so it was good. a
1: shocker. It was a shocker. He was a Pro Bowler, very surprising move. So I won't be getting that interview, but certainly I'll be covering Blake. Uh, and that'll be cool to kind of follow the pros and how they're doing and uh, kind of go from there. So I'm looking forward to that as well with the NFL starting. A lot of UCF players in the NFL, Jeff. Of course, with Blake, gets a lot of the attention in the state. But then you got to look at the Baltimore Ravens. Rashad Perriman coming yeah. back from his injury.
0: Finally, we're going to an... see him in purple and black. We've been waiting for that for a while. Yep. Yeah.
1: Karbar Aiken is on that team. He was productive for Baltimore. So you got two-night receivers they're in Baltimore, so that's interesting to see as the Ravens try to bounce back. Don't forget
0: Latavius Murray out in Oakland. That's uh, He's due for a huge year this year out with the Raiders. And he's on my fantasy team, so I hope
1: <laughs> he has that monster year. But you're right, Latavius, Oakland
0: Raiders. A lot of people like the Raiders
1: this season. So looking forward to seeing what Latavius done. Of course, Brandon Marshall with the Jets. Uh, and I know he could go on and on, but that's uh, that's also just as exciting. as that. That's something we've got to keep an eye on. Is some of the pro players, and that's something we'll address from time to time here on the podcast. Some of the NFL players and form and other pro players uh, doing for UCF. So I'm looking forward to it. It's a that's the it's the best time of year from that standpoint. Is that football's around on Saturdays with the college game, and you got the NFL on Sunday, and then in, in, and then around it, we got volleyball and soccer going on. So it is busy.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a busy busy weekend as well. I like like you. I'm looking forward to this uh, volleyball tournament this week and uh i guess we'll okay let's end with this uh final score prediction for ucf and michigan go ahead
1: oh wow put me on the spot man
0: um i got mine i want to know what yours is go
1: ahead you go go ahead all right i'm gonna i'm
0: gonna pick michigan's gonna win but it's gonna be tighter than people think i'm thinking 42 24 i will go 42 17 all right cool so uh where can everybody catch you lopez
1: Eric Lopez Elo is the Twitter handler. Uh, you can obviously check me out on Tuck and O'Neal. Weekdays, 3 to 7, I produce their show on Sports Talk 1080, the team Orlando. And, and I'll be co-hosting on uh, the Friday edition of Tuck and O'Neal. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, I will be co-hosting with Mike Tuck. Jerry O'Neill will be in Ann Arbor getting ready for the broadcast with UCF in Michigan. And then I'll be hosting the Sports Talk Florida Insider Show Saturday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. from Universal Nissan. Corner of Four Seventeen Orange Blossom Trail. We'll have a live uh, update. In fact, uh, our friend Trace will be up in Ann Arbor. Yeah, Trace will be- up
0: in uh, for the Nightline podcast. He's going to be yes. he's going to be up in uh, Ann Arbor checking in with you, right?
1: Yep, he'll check in and call in from there. And then uh, I'm hoping to have uh, an interview with UCF tennis coach John Roddick uh, and get the first interview with him with the USGA. USTA is opening up uh, their, their new court in Lake Nona. is opening up in January. Of course, the U.S. Open tennis going on in New York. So, uh, efforting and, and 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 tentatively have them hope to have them on that on that show on Saturday. We'll have that here on the podcast and on the site. We'll address that next week here as well. So, if that goes to plan, and uh, very interesting as UCF tennis as we when we turn uh, the calendar to 2017 will become a big storyline. Jeff, as as bizarre as, as strange as that might sound. UCF tennis will be a major storyline when we get to January 2017 with that new building at the USDA Center where UCF will play their new home. And a marquee coach, John Roddick, the marquee coach, a guy who has led Oklahoma to the national championship runner-up in the last couple of years, one of the top coaches in the sport, fascinating uh, to talk to him about a lot of
0: different topics, which I'm looking forward to, and we'll break it down here as well. I'm looking forward to that too, Eric. All right, thanks again. And you can catch me at uh, Jeff underscore Sharon. Don't forget, you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret. Uh, also, Black and Gold Banneret on Facebook. Black and Gold dot com is where you go uh, for all the latest news on uh, UCF sports uh, as well. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to our uh, email list on uh, Black and Gold Banneret dot com, and also subscribe to this podcast if you don't already. Uh, via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Eric, always good talking to you. Catch you at the uh, UCF volleyball match against LSU, brother. Always a pleasure. Looking forward to it. All right, see you there. And for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening once again. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.